Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. This is ground control to Major Tom. You've really made the grade. And the papers want to know whose shirts you wear. That's astronaut Chris Hadfield singing David Bowie's Space Oddity in Outer Space. Chris was just nine years old when he knew he was going to be an astronaut. His family was spending the summer on Stag Island in Ontario. They didn't have a television set, but their neighbors did. On the night of July 20th, 1969, they all crammed into that neighbor's cottage together. That's where they watched as Neil Armstrong descended a spaceship to be the first man to walk on the moon. Okay, Neil, we can see you coming down the ladder now. I'm going to step off the land now. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. Chris Hadfield knew he had to go to space. It was like there was no choice after that. It didn't matter that the odds of becoming an astronaut are practically non-existent. Or that he was Canadian. And there were no Canadian astronauts. He was going to do it. And he did. 34 years later, he was singing David Bowie on the International Space Station. And he credits getting there to one person. His wife, Helena. I'm Joe Piazza. This is Committed. This is Chris Hadfield, and Helena is just about to join us. I Skyped with Chris and Helena from their home on Stag Island. It's right on the Michigan-Ontario border. While we were waiting for Helena, Chris started bragging to me about how she just got back from this crazy, grueling, month-long hiking trip. It was 650 miles over the hills and mountains of the coastline of southwest England. Basically a marathon a day, up and over cliffs, uh, and here at this age of life, it's you know we're not seventeen year olds anymore, and and it's sort of maybe a little 
one month long microcosm of how Helena conducts life in general. So I would venture to say that she might be even tougher than you are. Oh, oh yeah, she's tougher than I am. I haven't given birth not even once. This is Chris talking about some of the dangers in space during his 2014 TED Talk. What's the scariest thing you've ever done? Or uh, another way to say it is, what's the most dangerous thing that you've ever done? Uh, I know what the most dangerous thing is that I've ever done, because uh, NASA does the math. And I was outside on my first spacewalk when my left eye went blind. And I didn't know why. Suddenly, my left eye slammed shut in great pain, and and I couldn't figure out why my eye wasn't working. I was completely blind outside the spaceship. So what's the scariest thing you've ever done? (laughs) So Chris is tough. And he's married to a pretty tough woman. Here's something he wrote in his best-selling book, An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth, about his marriage. A lot of people who meet us remark that it can't be easy being married to a highly driven, take-charge overachiever. And I have to confess that it is not. Being married to Helena at times has been difficult for me. Helena is intimidatingly capable. She raised our three children, often functioning as a single parent because of the amount of time I was on the road. Chris was just a kid when he knew he wanted to be an astronaut. And he was still a kid when he started dating Helena. Helena was 14, Chris just 16. I'll let them tell you about it. We met in high school. We were in a play. and The man who came to dinner. The man who came to dinner. Helena was the understudy for all the female roles. Chris was waiter number three or footman number five. They can never remember which one. One day during practice, Helena made a real impression on Chris. And it was the 70s. um, And... Bras were not common necessarily, and I had this peasant top on. For some reason, I decided to do cartwheels down the middle of the auditorium because I was bored. What she didn't think about was that her top would fly up when she did the cartwheel. Footman number five in the back was less bored at that point, and I got asked out that evening. Um, So that's how we met. That was it. They started dating after that. How long was it, guys? We dated for uh, almost almost, uh, six years. Yeah, almost seven years. But we were really young, too. And, you know, during teenage years, I I went and hitchhiked around Europe for six months with a buddy. Uh, We split up during that time. But when we saw each other again and started talking, it was obviously who who we wanted to be together. And so we got married when Helena was just this turning 21, I guess. And I was 22 or three. She had been like waiting for me to propose for years already, even though we were still in our teens or just turning 20. I have to interrupt quickly. It was uh, a long, long time ago and thoughts were different about people being together sexually when they were not married. Helena was getting a ton of flack, mostly from her grandmother. Chris's sister had intimated to me, because we'd been together six years at that point, and, you know, people were like, okay, okay. Chris's sister had said, I think you're getting engaged at Christmas. Well, I got a locket at Christmas, and I was was so... It was a nice locket. I hated that locket. (laughs) And I was just so devastated because I was getting all this pressure from my family, and it was starting to make me doubt, especially when I got this stupid locket. And that was Christmas time. And um, Helena's 
birthday is in February, but I thought St. Valentine's Day would be a nice time to, uh, to get engaged. He'd been doing a layaway on a ring for like six months. And so it was a big thing. Chris proposed during dinner. It was simple, sweet. It was just the ring in its little box and uh, my best expression and, and, you know, will you marry me? And I cried. It was perfect. It didn't have to be any more than it was. It was just perfect. It wasn't on a beach. The wind wasn't (laughs) blowing. We weren't in the Himalayas, but um, it was the best I could do at the time. But to me, it's, it's kind of amazing, just both statistically and with the vagaries that life throws at you, that from that very humble beginning with, with no fanfare, no uh, heavenly chorus, um, we're still together. One of the reasons Chris thinks they're still together is that at different times in their marriage, each of them has made accommodations for the other's career. In the beginning, it was Helena doing a lot of the accommodating. She knew from day one that Chris wanted to be an astronaut. He didn't have to tell me it was really hard. I figured that out all by myself. <laughs> we knew what he had to do, and we knew what sacrifices we had to make. But I also knew 100% with no doubt that he would do it. The path to being an astronaut, as much as there is any kind of path to being an astronaut, is usually through the military. You don't make a lot of money. You become a fighter pilot and then a test pilot, usually being moved around to a lot of really remote locations because there aren't that many flight training bases. During the first two years of their marriage, they were apart for 18 months. In his book, Chris describes it as the kind of opening chapter that either makes or breaks a marriage. Helena had already finished university. She had a degree in business and computers, and she had this great job working as a programmer. Instead of Helena naturally following the career that she had trained for and was working at, she agreed that, okay, long term for the two of us, this is time to put your career first. And since we're going to be posted to remote areas for a few years, let's have our children now rather than delay till later. So there they are, living in the middle of nowhere with three small children. At one point, they were three, one, and zero. So it was crazy hectic in the house, um, not making much money, Helena not pursuing her career, having no family support around, and me doing my best to try and work really hard at my job to work my way through it. We were going to get to where we wanted to go and still balance family life. And that was probably the most stressful time of our marriage, just uh, asking so much of Helena, um, hoping and promising that, hey, it's going to get better. It really sucked. I think we had almost gotten bankrupt on the house that we had to sell, and that set us back a lot. All of a sudden, I've got three kids, And I was so overwhelmed. And when you don't have the financial help to hire somebody or to get a break, and and Chris was, he had to come first. He had to be the best because we knew that the only way he could ever succeed and become an astronaut was if he did all the things. And it was crazy. But even at one point, It was getting so bad that I said to him, you have to decide what you want. Do you want a career and a family or do you just want a career? It was the the worst and most stressful time. And I I shudder when I think of how awful that it was. 
That's an incredibly powerful thing to say. Do you want a career in a family? Or do you just want a career? I kept promising it's going to get better. It's going to get better. It doesn't matter at that point. But it was the nadir point. It was definitely the hardest part on our marriage. But Chris, did you ever feel guilty that Helena was making this kind of sacrifice for you and for your career, your dream, your goals? Sure, of course. Especially if you remember in January of 1986, the first shuttle accident happened with Challenger exploding uh, during launch. We're awaiting word there holding their breath just, I'm sure, as everyone else is. You saw it just a few moments ago, about 45 seconds after liftoff, a huge fireball in the sky. We have a report from the flight dynamics officer that the vehicle has exploded. Flight director confirms that. We are uh, looking at uh, checking with the recovery forces to see uh, what can be done at this point. There I was, a junior officer, Uh, flying F-18s for NORAD in northern Quebec with a wife at home and three kids pursuing a -a will-of-a-wisp that that just didn't exist, you know, to think that a Canadian test pilot could become an astronaut. And now the whole shuttle program is very much um, unlikely to even continue. Chris was so spooked that he started looking at other career options. He thought he could be an airline pilot. He had all of that training already. And he signed up to get his airline transport licenses. But Helena stopped him. Helena looked around and actually said something that was as pivotal in our mutual success as anything. And that was like, what are you doing? Giving up on your dreams does not come for free. Giving up on your dreams has its own cost. And if you give up on your dreams, especially because you're feeling guilty, Um, then that dream will be like a burr under your saddle for the rest of your life. That counsel, but also that generosity um, made all the difference. We never could have had a chance to do the things that I did if Elena hadn't been willing at that point. If I didn't help him, if I put barriers in his way, he wouldn't do it. They had moved from Canada to the United States for Chris to keep training. They went to California first, which was like a dream after living in northern Quebec. Then it was on to Maryland. In 1991, Chris was named the U.S. Navy Test Pilot of the Year, even though he was still Canadian. That's when the Canadian Space Agency took out an ad in newspapers. Yes, they put this kind of ad in a newspaper. Wanted, it said. Astronauts. This is a pretty good place for us to take a break. Then we'll find out how Chris got to be an astronaut. Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty-turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt 
to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. After Chris saw the ad looking for astronauts, they had 10 days to write and submit a resume. I say they because both Chris and Helena set out to make this the most impressive document the Canadian Space Agency had ever seen. There were 5,329 applicants. They heard nothing for weeks. Then a letter arrived. Chris had made it to the top 500. From there, the list kept getting whittled down. A hundred. Fifty. Twenty. They'd said they'd call somewhere around one o'clock in the afternoon. And Helene and I had talked about it. We'd gone out with friends that morning. And we'd said, if they call near one o'clock, that's probably good news because they're going to call the people they want first. And then later, they'll call the people that they don't want. And so when the phone rang on the wall of this old farmhouse in Maryland, just after one o'clock, you know, 103, the phone rings. It was like, oh, this is bound to be good news. We were there. We were all together in the in in the kitchen. He got a phone call. We were there. I did cartwheels again. Yeah, <laughs> it was good. But my question is, were you wearing a bra this time? <laughs> yes, I was. Yeah, I'd had three kids at that point. For me, it was an enormous sense of relief. It was joyous, but also relief because I hadn't let Helena down. They'd been married for 11 years. Their youngest child was five. Now they had this crazy move down to Houston to the Johnson Space Center. That meant another new house, new schools for the kids. Chris wrote in his book that the first year in Houston is always tough on families. Marriages implode, usually because of the pressure that's put on the spouse. Once he got selected as an astronaut, I just looked at him and said, okay, my turn. It was time. To take some of that pressure off, Helena wanted to do her own thing. She'd sacrificed for Chris already. Now she wanted to pursue her own dreams. They had more money, more support. The kids were in school. Chris's job was more stable, and there were times that he could take the kids. He could take them away with him on his business trips. That would give Helena some of the space that she needed. I love to learn stuff. And I'd been taking courses. They didn't have online, but correspondence, university stuff. And I went to work at a chemical company as a computer person because that was my training. And I loved it. And I did really well there. And then later I went to be a chef. Let me brag on Elena when she says she became a chef. She went to school full time for a couple of years. Um, to become a chef, and she placed first out of 450 people and got headhunted and hand-selected into a great job as a chef. But uh, I think part of it also is um, Helena never wanted just to be one thing. Uh, she, she wanted to continually gain skills and try other things. She went to law school for, for the better part of a year mm-hmm. to see... Until I found out that it just is so wrong. Yeah, but, <laughs> but, it, but you have to try it and then find out, no, this, this doesn't suit me. Since then, I mean, Helena has gotten to pursue several things that have been important to her, and, and hopefully <laughs> it's been a fair balance. But life still wasn't easy from there. 
Being an astronaut is even more work than trying to become an astronaut. They're earthbound, but training all the time. Sitting for years in Russian classes, training repetitively on safety procedures over and over again. Mastering skills that may seem arcane, that could actually end up saving their lives. Well, I was away from home about two-thirds of the time for the 21 years that I was an astronaut. And one of the biggest partners in the ISS is Russia. So I spent a lot of time in Russia. I was also NASA's director in Russia for a couple of years. There's kind of unlimited work. And the consequence of not getting the work done is, is huge. It's life or death. It's Helena's independence that really made this whole thing work. I'm just not one of those people that need to talk to him on the phone all the time. Um, and I think that makes a difference because if he's busy or if I'm busy, eh, we don't need to talk. We kind of just feel connected anyway. Helena's had a few careers. One of them was as a chef. And if someone asked me who I was or what I did, I would never introduce myself as a chef's husband. Like that just wouldn't even occur to me. Um, and Helena wouldn't introduce herself as an astronaut's wife. We are individually who we are. We support each other. We try and enable the other person to do what they're doing and be as successful as they can. When I was on the road, it was just, I was on the road. It's not like Helena was pining for me to be home or that somehow her home life required me to be there in order to make it successful. Chris made sure that Helena got the breaks that she needed from being a mom and a wife. He'd take the kids along on his work trips when he could. More importantly, if we had a chance to take a vacation, uh, I would take the three kids and leave Helena home alone because uh, that was, I think, as good a vacation as she could have. It was the ultimate gift, taking all three kids for 10 days at a time. We'd go to the Grand Canyon or I took them on a quick European vacation driving all over, giving Helena the solitude and the, the quietness and the, the peace, I think, of being home alone for a long period. I think that was pretty good for mental health also. It was awesome. That sounds like heaven. It was absolutely heaven because I'd have like one knife and one fork, you know, and a plate. And that's all I had to be responsible for. Or I wasn't doing a load of laundry a day. It was the best gift. He also did that for me for Mother's Day. And for my birthday every year, I didn't have to do the whole Mother's Day breakfast or anything. No, he gave me the day for me. Being apart so often also had to take a massive amount of trust. I think one of the reasons why we've stayed together, never mind all of that, is that I, I absolutely trust Chris. And I trust when he's away because, I mean, women throw themselves a lot at him, especially earlier on you know, flight suit, it's all good and all, and they travel a lot. And, and if you're sitting back worrying at home and life already sucks because you're doing all the running around to soccer practice or this or that, I think it makes it harder. And so I didn't feel I had to worry. And I think it helped. A lot of people think that astronauts spend all of their time in space, and that couldn't be further from the truth. They spend the majority of their time training to go to space. So it took a while for Chris to finally get there. Uh, my first flight was a shuttle assembly flight where we launched out of Florida on Space Shuttle Atlantis. We were building part of the Russian space station Mir. Before he took off, one of the ground crews slipped Chris a note from Helena telling him that she loved him. 
This was back in 1995, and getting in touch with home from space was still really tricky. And when he was in space, each space flight was different. The first space flight was by ham radio, which is really ridiculously stupid. Um, (laughs) But it was the best at the time. Later on in his career, in 2012, Chris was selected to actually live in space. To stay there for 146 days, to orbit the Earth 2,336 times, to travel more than 62 million miles to be the commander of the International Space Station. Here's Chris on the space station talking about how astronauts sleep in space. Chris Hatfield here aboard the International Space Station. We keep busy on board the space station. Long days, lots of work, physical exercise. At the end of it, you're tired. But how do you sleep in space? But before I go to sleep, I gotta put on my pajamas because I have space jammies. I'll be right back. And brush their teeth. Okay, so now what am I going to do? I've got a mouthful of toothpaste stuff. I've got a dirty toothbrush. So what I do is I just swallow the toothpaste. It's edible. Won't kill you. And cry. Your eyes will definitely cry in space. But the big difference is tears don't fall. So grab a hanky. By the time Chris was on the ISS, technology made communication with Helena and the kids Way easier. No ham radios this time. Elena took the kids to Israel for Christmas, and I, I, I was calling every day. And then they were, she was with our kids who were adults at the time, and they would pass the phone around. And a, one of our kids had picked up the attitude from us because it was funny. The phone got to him, and he says, uh, Dad, you're in space. We get it. You don't need to call every day. <laughs> I thought it was like, okay, okay, right, okay, I understand. I got it. <laughs> Chris kept himself occupied up there. He was working around the clock, but he also had some downtime. He's always been a musician. He wouldn't say that he was the best at it, but he loves it. He's even been in an all-astronaut band called Max Q. Is that not the most adorable thing that you've ever heard? This is him doing the first space-to-earth musical collaboration with the Bare Naked Ladies and Wexford Gleeks. Welcome to the Cupola. Ready to play a little music. Indeed. Your uh, scenery looks a little nicer than ours. Have you got everything you need? Do you have your trusty floating guitar pick with you? Mine is subject to gravity. Gleeks, are you guys ready to do this? Yeah! Chris, ready to go? Yes, Ed, I'm ready. Okay. Let's do this. Let's do it. There's a guitar permanently up on the space station. It's just there as psychological support equipment, just like books and recorded music and cameras and things, uh, just to keep everybody uh, mentally and, and emotionally and psychologically engaged. The idea to play David Bowie's Space Oddity on the International Space Station actually came from Chris and Helena's son, Evan. My son swapped the words around, so it was updated. Uh, I work with a couple of musicians back on Earth that instrumentals in on top of my voice and guitar. There was one month left on the spaceship, and Evan said, Dad, you got to do a video. No one will believe you're in space when you did this if you don't do a video. I was like, Evan, I'm busy up here. I'm commanding a spaceship. One Saturday afternoon, he did it. He grabbed a camera and made that video. It's now been seen hundreds of millions of times. I'm delighted to see how people see spaceflight a little differently 
because they realize it's just people and we're celebrating it and playing music and loving life up there. We're going to take another break here. When we get back, we'll find out how Chris and Helena dealt with the fact that one day Chris might not come home from space. Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. Space exploration is inherently dangerous. The flight of the Apollo 13 to the moon is in serious jeopardy this morning. What appears to be a major catastrophe in America's space program. Challenger, only seconds after leaving the launch pad, according to NASA, has exploded in midair. No word yet on if there are any survivors. A considerable emergency going on right now throughout the space community, throughout NASA, admission control. One can only imagine what those technicians must be feeling as they desperately search for signs from Space Shuttle Columbia, scheduled to have landed now 15 minutes ago. Now, of course, something bad could happen to your spouse on Earth. Car accident, cancer, fire. But there's something even more frightening about the risks in space. Maybe it's the unknown or the fact that our minds can't even comprehend the kind of things that can happen there. You know, once he became an astronaut, obviously I knew a lot of the risks that were, that were there. But they trained for these flights for years, their whole careers. That means you're talking about the possibility of something going wrong, of something happening to your spouse for decades. If you're not having that conversation with your spouse about danger prior to, you know, I mean, that's that's where the real trouble lies, I think, in a marriage. But, but we're very open. I mean, we talk about the hard stuff. Um, what kind of matter of fact? Too. Matter of fact. I mean, it is. I just made sure I had a lot of insurance. Plus, I knew that this is what he was meant to be. So if I was to worry about it and he knew it, it would kind of steal his joy. And it would make me crazy. Elena had already come to terms years and years prior, and we'd watched lots of our friends die. And, and so one of these days, they may not come back. Okay, let's be realistic about this. If he doesn't come back, am I going to be financially destitute? I'm going to have to move somewhere else back where I can work full time. Let's just have a plan. Let's figure it out. And then, okay, he probably won't die. But if he does, I have a plan. So stop fretting about it. The Challenger and Columbia accident stuck in Helena's head. Chris and Helena had been close to the entire crew of the Columbia, which disintegrated upon re-entering the Earth's atmosphere in 2003. 
They were friends with their spouses, their children. Helena kept thinking about how the Columbia widows couldn't just be widows. In a way, they had to be America's widows. Those spouses are so public and it's like every anniversary. So how do you feel now? Or do you miss your dad? Or do you, And that was kind of horrifying for me to think about that, that I and my kids would never be allowed to get over it. So that was his second flight. Our kids were old enough to understand the danger, whereas with the, his first flight, they had no clue. They were just like, yeah, dad's going to space. And we're going to Disney World. And we're going to Disney World. Part of what keeps astronauts so calm and cool in space is imagining and working through the possibilities for the absolute worst-case scenarios. The space program actually conducts these official contingency sims, simulations. They work through an astronaut's demise in incredibly granular detail. We did this thing called a contingency sim, which we call the death sim, Um, which actually people sit around a table and they have, you know, what happens if, okay, Chris is electrocuted on orbit and this is what happens with marketing department and this is what happens with, you know, head office and family support. And it was a big eye-opener to me. For that third trip to space, Helena was planning to hike the Himalayas while Chris was gone. Doing the death sim forced her to think about what would happen if the worst happened. What would happen if the news broke that Chris was killed and she was away on a remote mountaintop? I realized that now with social media, the time frame, where would my kids go? And they were in their late 20s, but where would they go? Each one you learn that the, the danger is different, but your thoughts about the danger is different. She ended up postponing the Himalayas and hiked in Utah instead. Before Chris's last space flight, he did what he did before all his flights. He reviewed his will, made sure his financial affairs were in order, did all the things people do if they think they're going to die. That way, when the engines fired at launch, he was able to focus on the one task at hand, staying alive. You guys know how this story ends. Chris stayed alive. He played David Bowie on the International Space Station. And then he retired from the space program. Life is totally different now for Chris and Helena than it's been for the past few decades. It's this whole new chapter. What's it like being together now, now that you're together all the time? Is it this fantastic new part of your life, or was there this process of adjustment? Process of adjustment, but it's awesome. But um, recently I had um, a big health scare that made us uh, reevaluate and look at what we were doing. And the cool thing is, because it was one of those life-death things, when we looked at our life, we love what we're doing right now. We're happy with where we are. And so it's fun to be confronted with your own mortality and realize, hey, I'm pretty good. (laughs) I'm happy. We're probably in one of the best places we've been in our marriage, I think, almost ever. We're financially secure. We love what we're doing together. We have a great purpose in where we're headed. And, uh, and we we're have having, a lot of fun experiences. And we're having fun. We, we got an email from the queen who asked us to come for a sleepover. They thought it might be a prank from one of their friends. But it was but it for real. And we, got, we went to England and stayed in Windsor Castle. We still kind of like each other. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Why do you think you guys do still like each other? 
Do you think it's maybe because you spent more time apart than other couples? I don't think so. I think, well, it's definitely a ton of factors. One, I respect Chris very, very much and and really think he's, you know, amazing and wonderful. And uh, he also respects me very, very much and, and thinks I'm amazing and wonderful. And that's, it's kind of easy to like someone that thinks you're amazing and wonderful, I think. Chris Hadfield is widely acknowledged as a hero. But I see Helena as the hero of their story. Yes, he went to space. But she's the one who made sure he had a family to come home to. And that is such an underappreciated thing. I want to end with the dedication in Chris's book. To Helena, with love. Your confidence, impetus, and endless help made these dreams come true. This episode was hosted and reported by Joe Piazza. Special thanks to Chris and Helena Hatfield. It was produced and edited by Ramsey Yunt, with additional editing by Tyler Kling, and mixing by Tristan McNeil. The executive producers are Joe Piazza, Mangesh Hatikader, and Will Pearson. Theme song and original music by Tristan McNeil, with additional music by Adrian Walther, Neon Beach, Lee Rosevere, Stephen Keach, and the Emerson Year. For comments, suggestions, or to be part of the show, send an email to joe at committedpodcast.com. That's J-O at committedpodcast.com. Committed with Joe Piazza has been a production of the House Stuff Works family, produced in our studios located in Atlanta, Georgia. You can grab a copy of Joe's book, How to Be Married, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at CommittedPod. That's at CommittedPod. Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today 
I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book.